in the, the Gospel of John, one of my favorite Gospels in the, in the Bible. There's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And last week, Dustin spoke about a, a passage that I, I taught on about two years ago about a man who had been um, sick for 38 years. It, it seemed like from the text that he was either paralyzed or that he was a, a cripple, and he was lying on a bedroll, sitting by this pool of Bethsaida. And Dustin, we're in a, you can open up your Bibles, we're in John 5, and, and he's laying there, and Jesus asks him this question. I'm kind of recapping. He says, would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? I mean, Jesus, isn't it obvious? He's been laying there 38 years. Don't you, haven't, don't you know that? Can't you see him? I'm, I'm sure if you couldn't move or you're, if you were weak, you've ever seen someone who's in a hospital bed for a long time, your muscles atrophy, you become weak. You can even see it on their countenance. But he asked him this question, would you like to get well? Even another story, there was a blind man calling out, son of David, have mercy on me. His name was Bartimaeus. And the crowds tried to diminish him. They tried to silence him, but he just kept on yelling out. And Jesus finally said, all right, bring him over here. Come over here. And he, and he asked blind Bartimaeus, what can I do for you? So this is not the first time, and I've been seeking, I'm like, why would, would you ask somebody who's obviously that they're blind, obviously they're crippled, why are you asking them? And the reason why God is doing that is because he doesn't only want to heal them, he wants to get to know them. I think sometimes we forget that, we tend to seek God's hand and we forget to seek his face. You see people coming in church who, with a great need. They, they maybe are suffering from an illness, suffering from an addiction, suffering from something. And they come, and I've seen it before, where they receive an answer. They get an answer to prayer. They get, they get their miracle. And very shortly, they disappear. But he asks, would you like to get well? Do you want to get well? See, Jesus is not trying to just heal a man. He's trying to build a relationship. You know, a lot of times we get caught up, we think, you know, the problems that we're experiencing is the biggest thing in the world, and if only God would hear our prayers, only if he would bring the healing, only if he would bring our kids back into the church, only if he would bring the marriage back. But what if it, and I'm not saying that's not important, but what is more important is what if knowing God is going to change everything for you? You actually knowing God, actually hearing his voice. What if that is the answer? And I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't want to heal. I do believe he heals. That is his name, Jehovah Rapha. God is healing. That is his title. He always heals. He, he's never stopped healing. He's in the business of healing. But what if there's something more? What if it's a relationship with God? Because we get to these times in life where I think we get off track. 
It's kind of like a, I was reading about fishermen and how they would be way out in the Atlantic weeks and weeks, and they would meticulously plot their course back home. And this is like before GPS. They would meticulously plot their course back home, and they would, the captain would take in consideration the, the wind, take in consideration the currents, because even a slight miscalculation, and they could, that could mean an added a couple days. And I think what God wants to do tonight, it's not a teaching because I don't believe that I'm supposed to teach tonight. I think what tonight is is a recalibration. God wants to bring us back to the point of origin. Because a recalibration or a realignment, it's something gets off, right? You're driving in a car and you hit too many speed bumps, right? You've maybe taken the wrong turn. And you start noticing that, how come my car's not driving straight? All right, remember my friend had a, a Ford and he could just let go of the steering wheel and in two seconds you'll be in the other lane. It was it was really dangerous. If he let go of the wheel, he would probably hit a tree. But sometimes we get like that. And we, we, we just wonder why things aren't working right. Why isn't my life working right? Why is it so hard to keep driving straight? Well, maybe we need a recalibration. And I'm not talking just individual. I'm talking about for this church. You know, we started under a tree. And what was kind of funny is that uh, I was reading a story of Abraham, and he planted an evergreen tree, and he called upon Jehovah Olam, which is everlasting God, evergreen and everlast. And so a tree is very significant. I think it's very significant when we start on a tree because it's, it's almost like this covenant we make with God. It's like a covenant we make with God. This evergreen covenant of God's goodness that he wants to make with us. But I think somewhere along the lines, our churches have been here seven years, and I think somewhere along the lines, I think something happened. You know, you, you kind of see it as a leader. You kind of see that when you start a church, you have this, like, initial excitement. It's like, man, God is doing something new Right, and you hear the pastor share his vision, you know, love the world one person at a time, and you hear, you know, we have this great vision of what God wants to do. And after a few years, the enthusiasm, it wears off. Right, it's like that honeymoon stage just slowly gives way. And what happens is that this great passion, this great zeal, even this great joy, it, it kind of falls to the wayside, and what happens is it just becomes a duty. You know, it just becomes routine. It just becomes monotonous. And we lose that. We lose, we lose what was originally intended. You know, I heard that they had this experiment. They had five monkeys in a cage. I don't even know if this is, if PETA would like this, but hopefully you're not part of PETA. But they did this experiment. They had five monkeys in a cage, and they had, like, this set of stairs, and they put, like, a banana at the top of the stairs. And, and so they rigged it so that when a monkey would touch the stairs, they would be squirted with water, right? They, I guess they don't like water. I don't know. And so the first monkey goes up on the stairs, and they all get squirted with water, and they kind of freak out. I'm like, what was that? That's weird. And so they... The second monkey is like, okay, like, 
I don't know, maybe that was just a coincidence. The second monkey goes up and he touches the stairs and everyone gets squirted with water. I'm like, oh. And by the third time, the third monkey, as he makes his way towards the stairs, guess what the other monkeys do? They stop him. They're like, we know what that does. Don't touch the stairs. We don't want to be, we don't, I guess they don't like showers. I don't know. And so what they do in this experiment is really interesting. So they, they establish this culture, right? It's like, don't, don't touch the stairs. Whatever you do, don't touch the stairs. We'll stop you. So what they do is they have these five original monkeys, and they take one out, and they put a new one in. And this new monkey is a part of this culture. They're part of the crowd. And it doesn't know any better. It doesn't know what happened. And so this new monkey just sees a banana, and it's like, okay, I'm going to go for that. And what they found is that the monkeys viciously attack it. They not only stop it, they viciously attack it. And so they, they do it again. They take one of the original monkeys again and they replace it. So you have three original, two new. And this time, this new monkey, it doesn't know what's going on. And so it tries to do it again. Well, not only do the old monkeys attack it, well, the other new one attacks it. And it almost seems like it enjoys it. But here's what happens in the end is that eventually all five monkeys get replaced with new monkeys. And eventually, and what happens is that they all form this culture where they do not touch the stairs. But here's the point is that they forgot why. They don't remember why. It's, all they know is that don't touch the stairs. Don't do that. They don't know why. They don't know about the water. But I think that's kind of a picture of the church. We just forget why we, why we do things. We forget why we come. We forget why we pray. We forget what we're contending for. We forget what our direction is, what God has called us to do. And I get it. You know, I get it. There's times in life where it's like we're, we're trying to, we're plowing and we're just trying to be faithful. And yet, we get off track. And so... This is what God is wanting to do with this man. He's a, he doesn't want to just heal him. He wants to break the yoke of religion off, off of him. And what happens is uh, we pick up in John 5.11. So Jesus heals the man and he disappears into the crowd. And, and as... And as he disappears in the crowd, the religious leaders, they see him carrying his mat. And how many know that Jesus asked him to pick up his mat so that he, he'll have a testimony? So that when people asked him, why are you carrying your mat? He could point and say, well, it's because God healed me. It was supposed to be a testimony, but other people didn't see it that way. He said, but he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. And they said... Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. Other translations say, who told you to pick up your mat? The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. It's pretty amazing, right, when 
Jesus comes and you, you've been waiting 38 years for the answer. And you get healed and you don't even know who it is. They're like, who healed you? You didn't even know. But afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple and he asks him this question. He says, now that you're well, or he tells him, now that you're well, stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. I was reading some of the commentaries about this, and they were saying, Jesus is telling them about the upcoming judgment of sin, you know. But I, I look at that, and I'm like, man, he was, he was a cripple for 38 years. What kind of sin or what kind of trouble can you get yourself into if, you're, if you can't really move? And, I, and so I do believe he's warning them that. But I think what's more significant is that He's warning him of this religious yoke that he's submitting himself to. Because it seems like he is more willing to be moved by the religious authorities than be moved by Christ. Because afterwards in verse 15 he says, He went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. You know what they call that in prison? Someone that... I don't know. I just look at them like, maybe... Why did he do that? Why did he go run off and have to tell them? Was it because the, as a testimony, as a witness to God's glory? Or is it simply just to, because he was afraid? Because he had a fear of man and he was scared. I think it was because he was scared. He didn't want to be thrown out of the temple. Because there's numerous other stories of this when and I look at this and I compare it to the story of the ten lepers that Jesus heals. He heals ten lepers and, and when one who's walking along the way, because he told them to show themselves to the priest, when he realizes that he's been healed, he turns around and, and gives glory to God. And Jesus asks, weren't there ten of you and only one has come back? Only one has returned to give glory to me? And even a Samaritan at that. You don't see any thankfulness from this man. You don't see any adoration. Not even when you compare it with Legion. When Legion was healed, it was one of the greatest miracles in the New Testament. Healed and delivered of the numerous demons inside of him. He asked Jesus, he begged him, he's like, let me follow you. Let me be your disciple. And Jesus commanded him, no, no, go. Go into the Decapolis so that you'll be a testimony. See, you don't see that with this guy. You don't see that with him. And I wonder if it's that with us, you know, like, we were uh, going up to Santa Maria, and uh, I was with Ed and Billy and, and Kim, and we just, and Ed was just like, you know, why don't we just share our testimonies? And so we, we shared our testimonies, and it was pretty amazing just to hear, like, what God has done in our lives, but I also shared, too, I'm like, well, I love I love my testimony. I love what God has done in my life. 
but I actually care more about what he is doing currently in my life. You know, like some of us, we have an awesome testimony. It's like, man, like God did something so amazing, but it was like seven years ago. And I always love to ask people, well, what is he doing now? Have you seen or heard of great breakthrough that is happening in your life now? Or is it was just seven years ago or ten years ago, that time you went to camp, that time you heard God's voice so clearly, or that time that you got baptized? And I'm not trying to discount that. I'm just like asking, where's the fire now? You guys have that fire with you. Or are you guys bored? Because, and I'm not trying to come at you guys like that. I'm not like, this is a message of, I really believe that because we have God's spirit, that, we always, that he always has a plan of redemption, that he always has a plan of hope. I don't believe in doom and gloom. I don't believe in like the world is ending and we need to like hide in a basement kind of Christianity. I believe like God's spirit is on this earth. And so whenever there's a problem, I don't like focusing on the problem. I like focusing on the solution. Because when Jesus, when there's an issue here, like this man, like he, he didn't even know if he wanted to get well. He just talked about I can't and someone else. He totally had this victim mentality. I can't, Jesus, and somebody else, they always, they always get it. It's a victim mentality. And he just commanded him to stand up. It's like, see, Jesus is always trying to bridge the gap between our unbelief and faith. And I think sometimes it's like, he wants to point us to the solution. And that's what he's doing tonight. But I just wanted to share something. You know, we just had a staff meeting, and I don't know if I'm supposed to share this, but we were kind of, we were discouraged. You know, Pastor Jeff, he was really discouraged. You know, we had a great Easter. But we've kind of noticed, like, something has kind of crept in. I don't know if it's complacency. I don't know if it's just something. Maybe it's just we went down the wrong road or something, but we just feel like, man, like, it's like we're stuck in the doldrums, right? The doldrums was a place where if you were a sailor, there was no wind, and it's like you're just stuck bobbing there in the ocean. It's like that. And you can even feel like that, right? Because Jeremy had some really good jokes, and no one laughed at them on Sunday. <laughs> and I was like, what is wrong with this? These are good. But it's like a wall, but you'd understand it if you're a pastor or if you spoke up here because sometimes it's like you're talking to a brick wall and there's like a wall in front of you and it's like, it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's the weirdest thing, but it's like there's a wall and you just look at people and they're just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, am I that boring? But I just wanted to be just honest, you know, like. I see it, the pastors see it, everyone sees it. It's like, you know, people are distracted, we're, we're walking during the message, we're like sitting in the back, people are like taking naps in the couch, we're on Facebook, we're on our iPads. It's just like we're, there's a distraction or something going on. And I'm, I'm not trying to condemn anyone, I'm just saying like, this is what I'm noticing. And I'm like, God, what has happened? And I even asked them, I'm like, I'm like Lord, are we like those monkeys? Have we forgotten why we're even coming? Why we're even here? And I felt strongly, he says, yes. He's like, you guys have forgotten. 
you know, that, and I really, it really hit me, and I was just like, man. But he also, I believe, told me, and I'll, I'll share this later, but I, I believe, he, you know, he wants to bring us back. He wants to recalibrate us. But I just want <clears throat> to kind of go back to what I was saying about this boredom thing, and I have a question up there. And let's just be honest. It's like, why are people bored at this church? Why are people being, why are they bored? And if you want to be honest with yourself, maybe you can even share, like, why you're bored at this church. And I think it's good to talk about this. And so for the next few minutes, let's just open up and talk about this. I mean, I see with the children of Israel, you know, they, they saw the, they saw the 12 plagues. They saw the great deliverance of God out of Egypt. But then they get into the wilderness, and Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and he disappears for 40 days. And they're just, like, standing there, and they're like, what do we do? What, what's going on? What do we do? And then they tell Aaron, they're like, why, why don't you make a god for us? Why don't you, we get, like, all the gold, and let's just, like, let's just fashion something. Let's make this golden calf, and we're going to worship that and just say that, 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 that this god brought us out of Egypt. And it's like, how do you get from seeing God's glory, from seeing the very presence of God, to seeing great miracles, to like just looking at this golden calf? I mean, it's not even, wasn't even anything cool or anything, like a unicorn or a dragon or something. It was like, why a, a cow? Think about it. It's like, that's like, that's like our human heart because I always look at the Bible and just be like, this is like our heart. It's like we, we're so easily satisfied with so little. But this is what Jesus says in, in verse 16 through 18. He says to the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. They believed that he couldn't heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So they, it actually says in Matthew, do you guys actually, well, let me, let me reverse this. Do you guys actually, do you guys know what has more authority than the word of God? Does anybody know the answer? I think I've said it before. Jesus actually says, your traditions have made void the word of God. And that word void is like you've, you've canceled it out. You've made it of no effect. It's like, and that's what we see in this passage. It's like they were so intent on their Sabbath. And they even went beyond it, right? Because the Sabbath was supposed to be a day where you consecrated yourself for the Lord. It was supposed to be a day for the Lord. And they made it, they, they perverted it so much that when the Son of God, who's in human flesh, brings this great miracle, this great healing, instead of rejoicing that their God is among them, they look to their, their rules, their ordinances, and they just try to find something like, oh, well, he can't do that. He's not allowed to do that. You guys understand that. For 400 years, 
there had been silence. 400 years, there wasn't any significant prophet. There wasn't any significant word from God. There was no healing. There was no miracles for 400 years. And all of a sudden, this man wearing camel skin, who eat locusts and honey, begins proclaiming that there was someone coming that was greater than he. And that now Jesus is on the scene, and they've never seen anything like this. I mean, they didn't have megaphones back in the day, but I think you get the picture. It's like you see these great miracles. You see these great deliverances. And yet, they're so in bondage to their religion, they can't even recognize the God of their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They can't even recognize him. They can't even see him. In fact, they wanted to persecute him. They killed him, yeah. I don't know. I just don't understand that, but I also know that we, that's what happens. You know, we, we start off with good intentions. And then all of a sudden, after year after year, it just becomes a tradition. It just becomes a ritual. And we lose the fire. We forget our, the why behind it. And it just becomes a culture, right? It just becomes this culture inundated with, you can't do this. You can't do that. Oh, it's always been done this way. Or God doesn't do that anymore. It just becomes this uh, inundated with all those things. But I believe, I want to end this with hope because I believe that God is faithful even when we're faithless. That's like one of the verses I stand on. It's not by our strength. It's not by clever, devised wisdom of man. It's not by, you know, the, the lights or the great, you know, screens that we have. It's by the power of the Spirit. We, we can weak out. It's by the power of the Spirit. And, and I know God is, like, everywhere. He's omnipresent. But it just seems like at times it's like, He's, there's just like more, you know, there's like more of, I don't know if you had those experiences where it's like, you've just felt God's presence, it was so manifested, you could see it, I mean, even the Azusa Street revivals that we teach, like, their revival meetings, the fire department would come because like, hey, your building's on fire, and it's like, no, that's just the cloud, <laughs> that's God's presence, and I'm like, man, God, if you did it for them, why don't you do it for us, you can do it again. And that's what I believe on. We're on the verge of something so significant, so powerful that I believe like it's going to rock the church and it's going to completely redo the way that we do church because we're kind of stuck in an old wineskin, kind of just like, man, what is this new wine? I don't like it. What is this, God? What are you doing? This is different. But he's doing something new in our day. And I'll just share this testimony because I want to raise your guys' faith. I, was, I heard this lady's testimony, and, and God kind of spoke to her like, he spoke to her about um, stadium Christianity again. 
She was like, stadium Christianity? Like, are you talking about Billy Graham? Billy Graham was like one of the only persons that could fill a stadium. He's like, no, we're, I'm talking about like multiple stadiums. I'm not talking about just one person. And she shared this testimony how God gave her this word, and she was like, God, you want me to like fill a stadium, or what do you want me to do? Like, I'm just a lady. I have very little money. And he just, he's like, just pray over this word. Just begin praying over this word. And she was sharing that, you know, one day God told her, he's like, I want you to call the, the Orange Bowl, I think it's in Florida, and ask for the stadium. And so being obedient, sometimes you just got to be obedient and just go for it, not really think because he'll get you into trouble. But she calls a stadium, and she's talking to the guy. And she's like, you know, nervous and like, all right, you know, like, hey, you know, I, I want to hold, a, you know, an evangelistic event for Christ. And, you know, I, I, don't, have any, I don't have any money and, uh, you know, uh, but, you know, I, and he, he just kind of stopped her. He's like, listen, lady, like, nobody has ever asked me for something like that in, in 29 years. You know, like, this is, this is. I don't even know what was going on, but he, he started saying, he's like, you know what, like, the last time we had an evangelistic outreach was Billy Graham, and that was many decades ago, and he's like, you know what, lady, I'm going to give you the stadium because I think it's about time for another move of God, and I'm going to give it to you for free, and she said that since then, seven, there's been seven other stadiums who've actually gave them, they allowed them to, to use the stadium for evangelic outreach. Isn't that crazy? You know how much money it costs for that? And I was, I was telling Pastor Jeff, um, because Lou Engel, this, he's an intercessor for America, on the anniversary of Billy Graham's death, he's going to call 100,000 people in that stadium and commission them for evangelism in this nation because he believes that it's not just going to be a Billy Graham. It's not just going to be a Reinhard Bonnke. It's not just going to be some great name. It's going to be a nameless and faceless generation. And what she was saying is that, like, there's going to be, like, reporters asking, like, man, like, what's going on here? Like, this is an amazing event. Who's, who's bring it together? Like, who's, the, who's in charge? And people are going to tell them, we don't know. We don't know who's in charge. This is, we're just, it's God. It's God that's in charge. And so, I don't know if you know this, but our pastor, he has, he has a stadium dream that God has given him. And so, our church is, is tied to that. You know, and part of that dream is raising up 100 leaders or 1,000 leaders through his life. And I believe that the enemy wants to abort this dream in our church. He wants it, he doesn't want it to come to full term. He wants to stop it. Just like how Jesus was born, right? Herod is there and he hears about it, hears about the wise man. He's like, no, I, I'm not going to have competition. There can't be an, another king. And so he sent his men out to kill every baby two years old and younger. See, whenever there's a move of God, the enemy wants to try to come in, steal, kill, and destroy, distract, get us fighting each other, get us Whatever, so that we don't, it doesn't come to full term. 
so it doesn't come to full fruition. And so there's amazing, you guys are a part of that. It's not just one person's dream. Like God knows like this is not just about one person, not about one leader. This is about like our church. And so we're going to have to be committed to this. And I want to kind of ask you this question is that what are you willing to commit to in order to change that reality? Right, kind of talking about the reality that there's something going on, there's like some complacency or boredom or whatever it is. What are you willing to commit to in order to change that? And let's just do that for the next two minutes or three minutes and we'll close. So I just want to close with this story and then we'll, we'll pray and... <clears throat> But I was talking to a, I was talking to a survival expert who actually uh, won a survival TV show, and he was sharing with me. He's like, I, I was a missionary in Brazil, and I used to teach kids survival skills, but I would also like teach them about life and teach them about the Bible. And he did this one drill that completely amazed me. He he had like a group of he had them get in groups of five. And he says, I want you to draw straws because whoever chooses the short straw, you're going to have to carry all the packs. And so they draw straws, and what happens is, you know, one guy has to carry the load of five other people. So, and he tells them, okay, we're going to do, up this, we're going to do this hike, we're going to go up this mountain, and you're going to have to carry the load of all these five guys. And so it starts off, they, they're carrying the load, and it's kind of a joke, right, where Everyone's just laughing at him and like, oh, you know, you got the short straw and blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, you got to suffer. But then he says later on, what happens is they start feeling sorry for him. And they're like, oh, you know, please you know, let us, you know, take the backpacks or let us help him. And he's like, no, like you can't. Like he has to do it. He has to carry it. And so pretty much he has to carry the load of five guys all the way up this mountain and when they get to the very end, he's like, you know what I was trying to teach you guys, right? And they're like, no. He's like, this is what we do to our pastors. We expect them to carry all of our luggage, all of our junk. We, we, we put the burden all on, like, one person. And that's just, like, what we do. And, like, that's not really their job. That's not their purpose to do that. I believe that we're all supposed to help carry this. And so I want you guys to really pray about that, what you're going to commit to. What does that look like in your life? Because we need to be in this together. It can't just be a leader. It can't just be a, a person or a, a great idea. It's a, it's a community. It's a body so that we can work together. And so I asked God, um, Lord, are we those monkeys? He's like, yeah. I'm like, man, I don't even know why I ask those questions sometimes. But I want to know. I want to know. And I'm like, well, Lord, what do we do about it? Because I, I believe that there's always hope, you know, that there's a way out. You know, he says there's always a way out. And this is what the Lord impressed upon me, you know. I, he was really, uh, you know, this Sunday Jeff's talking about empowerment, about the Holy Spirit, or I mean, Jesus sending out the 72 on their mission. But 
you can't send out 72 if they don't know why they're going out. And so I, I believe that um, in order for, for this thing to break, what's this, Delora was just saying, call a fast. Have them fast on Sunday. You know, we, we get together in that room at room 1, 815, and there's usually just like three of us. There's usually, or nobody. And I believe that prayer is an audience with the king. And if we want to change something, we got to get in there. we got to get before the audience of the king and ask him to break this thing off of us. This is not going to happen because of a message or because of the worship or because we feel our way into it. I think this is a spiritual dynamic. Maybe over Camarillo, over this church, or over this county. And so 8.15, we're going to... On Sunday, we're going to pray in room one. We're going to call together a, a solemn assembly like in Joel 2. And I believe um, that the Lord's asking us to fast, to do a water fast. The fast is you, you start, you don't eat anything, of course, you know. If you need coffee, it's fine. But because some of you are really grouchy. But what they do is you, you fast until nighttime or until evening when you break your fast. But what the fast is doing, it's supposed to break the chains of oppression. That's why we fast. And there's chains of oppression in here. You know, people come in here with addiction. They come in here with demonic spirits. And they leave here with chains. They leave here with addiction. They leave here with demonic spirits. And nothing ever changes. Those things don't get left on the ground. And I'm like, Lord, we have to do something. There has to be some answer for them. Because there needs to be something more. And so... If you guys want to partner with uh, me, I think we're going to be there at 8.15 in the morning. And let's just fast and pray. Let's break this thing off this church. Let's get us right on track. And let's be hopeful about it. I'm not trying to be down on you guys. You know, I didn't really want to give this message. But let's let, allow the Lord to restore us. Amen? Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. I believe, God, you're going to give so many people in here dreams, kingdom dreams, God, that you're going to, we're going to see this. We're going to, we would have despaired if we didn't believe we would see your deliverance, God, that we wouldn't see your goodness, God, in the land of the living, Lord. We believe this promise is for this church. We believe we're a part of this promise, Lord. But we also know, God, that the enemy is trying to steal, is trying to kill, trying to destroy Get us distracted, get us complacent, whatever it is, Lord, but we're not going to focus on him. We're going to focus on you, Lord, and cry out to the everlasting God, the God who never changes, Lord, the God who keeps his covenant. Even when we're, we fail, even when we forget, Lord, you still remember your covenant, and we call upon you to remember your covenant with us, Lord, because we are your covenant people. We are your church, and we are here, God. So send us out, Lord. Send us out. Use us, Lord. Put it upon our heart, God. Let us bring it to remembrance in our mind. Give us dreams in the night, God. Give us words as we speak, Lord, so that we can be a church, God, that is not just, not just here to play around, God, but is here to transform the world. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Have a good week, you guys.